a trusted voice of truth and light. God gave me a gift. I shovel well. I shovel very well. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. We've got a blind date with destiny. And it looks like she's ordered the lobster. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Well, hello there and welcome to the show. This is a place for people who are willing to question the narrative. And oh, there is so much narrative being beamed at us pretty much around the clock these days. The big question is, who can you trust? Well, it may surprise you, but I won't tell you. You can trust me. Yeah, every word I say, trust it all. I don't want you to. I want you to actually question everything that you're hearing, including what I'm sharing with you, because that's what it takes to remain tethered to reality in a time of almost universal deception and manipulation. This program is about speaking the truth as best I understand it, providing the best, most credible information that I can for my audience, and then letting you make up your mind whether it makes sense or not. Because the greatest fact checker that you know is the one looking back at you from the mirror. I do have some wonderful sponsors who help make this show possible on a daily basis. They include Dixie Chiropractic, HSL Ammo, Sewing and Quilting Center, also MonticelloCollege.org, LifesavingFood.com, the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage, and also GovernYourCrypto.com. Well, I want to, I guess I should probably give you a little bit of a warning right up front. I'm going to charge here headlong into this, and I'm going to cover some pretty straight up stuff. I will, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to hit you with any profane language or anything, but I am going to give you both barrels right out of the chute here because time is short. And anyone who's paying attention and looking at all the growing chaos around us is likely asking themselves, what can I do? What should I do at this point? Well, I got an email from a very trusted friend, longtime friend, and uh, he sent me some information that uh, I, I have not heard of A.H. Trimble before. But I'm including a link in uh, this particular part of the show notes because I want you to check out some of the writings here. And, and, and I'm going to just give you some, some suggestions here, 11 suggestions in particular that make a lot of sense about what can I do. But first, I want to set the stage of, of what we are up against. Just, this is just a kind of a quick reminder of in case you want to try to quantify this for somebody. We are living in a time where we need to correctly identify and properly identify the threats or the risks that are approaching us right now at breakneck speed. Among them, right now, the federal government is taking steps to silence free speech. They're actually creating a bureaucratic mechanism to criminalize anyone who disagrees with anything the federal government does or says. They're taking steps to eliminate constitutional rights by use of extreme measures like identifying dissidents as domestic terrorists. They have taken and will soon take draconian measures which are meant to disarm U.S. citizens in direct contradiction to the U.S. Bill of Rights. The Second Amendment already has been kind of half <clears throat> taken apart due to the elimination and demonization of militias, which is simply armed citizens, organized armed citizens. The federal government's also creating one crisis after another, which is in turn creating more chaos, confusion, fear, hate, insecurity, and general turmoil. 
And once created, these uh, crises are used to advance the concept that only the federal government can cure each one of them. You know, each of the crises that they actually created. They're also allowing the Federal Reserve to create fluctuating unemployment, hyperinflation. They've devalued the U.S. dollar from a low, or to a low, rather, from which it can never recover. They're creating a massive network of law enforcement that can infringe and has infringed upon the rights and liberties and freedoms of individual citizens at any time for any reason. Such actions being outside of constitutional due process and principles. They've expanded the capability of the NSA and they spy upon every aspect of every U.S. citizen's life. Oh, that's not just idle talk. I used to live just a few miles away from one of their big data collection centers down at the point of the mountain just south of Salt Lake City. Federal bureaucrats and politicians are elevating themselves above the average U.S. citizen to the status of a ruling elite, an aristocratic class, the ones who know best, ensuring that they and their peers are exempt from the laws that the average citizen cannot escape. But the greatest threat of all right now is the U.S. government's plan to completely subjugate the citizens of the U.S. into a serfdom class totally unable to defend themselves against the implementation of authoritarianism and its ugly cousin, tyranny. Now, how have they accomplished all this? Well, with the uh, help, the blessings of, and in many cases, the approval of the U.S. citizenry. Now, not all citizens have approved of these actions. In fact, many of us have opposed them. But the government could only do that which the citizenry has allowed and tolerated them to do. I know, that one stings me as well. And how did U.S. citizens get to the point that the federal government was allowed to run amok? Well, as a country and a people, we abandoned God. We forgot the reasoning behind the Constitution and the Bill of Rights. We embraced situational ethics and all too much viewed the Constitution as a living, breathing document versus a firm foundation of guiding principles. We turn a blind eye to our politicians' unbridled lust for power and money. We encouraged a large, powerful standing army fueling the greed and power lust of the military-industrial complex. We embraced party politics over sound constitutional principles and eternal truths. I know, that's a, that's a hard bit of cheese to swallow, but there it is. And I think it's accurate. And the out-of-control U.S. federal government became the hydra that it is today simply because we allowed it to. We were seduced by their promises of easy money, peace, security, pride, patriotism, manifest destiny. And what we got instead was none of those promises fulfilled, but a government that's interested in one thing, and that is absolute power. So that should pretty well sum it up. This is the problem that we're facing. You cure the problem of the U.S. federal government, most of the other problems either disappear or become less daunting. But see, therein lies the problem. There is no realistic cure for the U.S. government. It's simply become too large, too powerful, too overreaching, too tyrannical in nature, and deed to be cured. No election can cure it. We've seen that already for over a 100 years. The Supreme Court can't fix it. It's part of the problem. Elected federal politicians can't fix it. They're either part of the actual problem or the good ones end up getting converted to the lust for power or get crushed by the political machines of both parties. There is no modern-day George Washington to step up and straighten everything out, and sadly, there never will be. 
There is simply no way to cure the problem of the U.S. federal government. If you try, they will attempt to silence you. Should that fail? Well, the FBI hostage rescue team will come knocking and will kill you. So that's not a very pretty picture, right? And it's not something that just started, you know, with Trump or with Biden. It's been going on for a long time. This is the way it's been painted for over 130 years. The only way to cure the federal government problem is to cure the problems within our collective selves as citizens. And this is where I want to get into the meat of some of the solutions, okay? I think we've laid out the problem pretty clear. And you may disagree on one or more details, but largely the problem's been identified. So at the risk of just uh, let's continue to complain about that, now let's talk about solutions. If we're going to fix the problems that we face, we have to make right that which is wrong within each one of us. In other words, it boils down to each individual. That's how you fix it. So, in order to, uh, now that you've more or less heard the risks and the threats, what can we and what should we be doing? Well, let's, uh, let's prioritize first and all, first of all. And again, this is, this is where um, A.H. Trimble has 11 suggestions that make just a ton of sense. First and foremost, in order to stay alive and out of prison, do not participate in violence of any kind. Don't attend protests, don't attend demonstrations, or any kind of rally. At this point in time, all of these have the potential, real potential, to turn violent. Don't get involved in these activities. Don't even talk about committing violence, no matter how patriotic it may sound. When you are around people, don't allow them to talk about committing violence or even advocating for it. And if they do start talking that way, tell them you'll have no part of it and leave. Why? Well... Because federal law enforcement agencies have agents or informers in every militia, every patriotic group in the U.S., and any other group that they see as a threat. And they look for and they find any reason to arrest and imprison anyone they can. And if they can't find a reason, they'll manufacture one as they've done so many times. So stay away from any style of anti-government violence or discussion of such, period. It's always a good rule of thumb, too. The person who's instigating or who's suggesting, hey, you know, we ought to do something about this. We ought to, we ought to get our guns and go do this. That's likely the person who's glowing because they are the federal informant or instigator or agent. Okay, we're going to come back. We've got 10 more suggestions. These are all good ones. I think that first one, though, is a great one to begin with. Resist the urge to get out there and take it to the streets. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. I'm sharing with you some suggestions about what could I do, what can I do in light of some of the different uh, threats and trends that we see materializing right before our eyes. And it's a pretty daunting task, but I think the most daunting part of it is instead of let's just vote in the right person and let them fix it, it really starts with fixing ourselves. And that means that we've got to start thinking about this, about how do I take action on a personal level? So I gave you the first one, which was do not participate in violence of any kind. In fact, stay away from protests, demonstrations, or any kind of rally. There are people out there who are looking for a reason to fight. Right now, in, in my state of Idaho, where I live, 
there is a, there's a, um, well, it's, it's an LGBT rally. It's, it's Pride Day rally, family day at the Coeur d'Alene City Park. And coinciding with that is a commemoration of something which I actually think was quite admirable from a couple of years ago. They call it Gundelane instead of Coeur d'Alene. This is in response to when all of the, uh, Flo- the George Floyd riots were taking place all over the country. There were threats that uh, Antifa and others were going to come over from Spokane, Washington, and to show these backwards Idahoans a few things about what social justice looks like. And many members of the citizenry literally took to the streets, open carrying and armed, peacefully. They were all over the streets of Coeur d'Alene, making it very clear that kind of stuff is not going to be tolerated here. Now, I think that was actually an appropriate way to to stand up to a potential threat. And yes, Antifa was, uh, oh, well, they found something else to do somewhere else because they didn't want to face that kind of, uh, of armed opposition. So these two groups in the same city park, I think uh, it's it's courting trouble. And I, I'm not to, I'm not trying to say that they're all just looking for trouble, but I will say when it comes to people who are looking to start a fight, the social justice warriors really don't shy away from that kind of thing. It's what they want to do. They want to confront. They want to provoke. They want to get reactions. Don't be there to give them one. That's my advice. Take it or leave it. I don't care, but... For what it's worth, that's what I think. Secondly, okay, here's the second thing that you could be doing. Have a clear set of core principles that you believe in no matter what. Now, if you don't already have them, then it's time to sit down and develop that set of core principles. And these have to be based on both temporal as well as spiritual concepts. So temporally, how well do you understand the U.S. Constitution and the Bill of Rights, the Declaration of Independence? Spiritually. The Ten Commandments, the Sermon on the Mount. Are these things that you really understand, or are they just things you're going to give lip service to? Okay, you can't defend things that you really don't know. But the key here is make the decision to stand by those principles no matter what. Know them, decide to stand by them, and then do not compromise those principles. And when challenged, don't shrink from defending those principles but defend them using sound reasoning, logic, and compassionate understanding of others. Okay, it doesn't have to come to blows to defend it. You can do so in a very rational way. Suggestion number three, clearly see the magnitude of the problem and the utter certainty of the collapse that has already taken place, and more of which is coming, and stay situationally aware. Now, that means focus on knowing what's going on in the country and the world only from trusted sources of information, but do not become obsessed over current events. Ignore all non-trustworthy sources of information. Stay away from those promoting conspiracy theories. Avoid fear porn and do not give time to the static in life. Number four, be willing to have an emergency preparedness plan. Make a plan and be committed to work that plan. Now, this plan should be based on solid, practical, proven concepts of emergency preparedness. This plan must cover all areas of threats or risks, and above all, it must be realistic. But you got to have it in place before the crisis gets here, right? Number five, forget acting globally, forget acting nationally, but do act locally. Now, that means be involved in your family, your community, congregation, possibly at the state level if you feel prompted to do so. It's highly likely that you can have no impact at the global or national level to right this sinking ship. So don't waste your time, your talents, efforts, or resources on that pointless effort. 
Stay focused and engaged where you can make a difference. Start at the smallest or lowest possible level, then expand from there. Concentrate on where you can be both active and effective in your ability to help others. In other words, serve. Okay, this one's going to be a tough suggestion for some folks, but I think it's still pretty solid advice. Do not be a part of political party politics and do not support any political party platform. Advocate, support, and advance only your principles as outlined in suggestion number two, regardless of politics or political parties. See, that's hardly just being a passive stander by. That means you just are putting your effort where it actually is making a difference. Push forward the sound principles you formed when you are involved in your community and do not compromise those principles. That means seek consensus, not compromise. When you vote, vote for the candidate whose principles and ideas match yours regardless of party affiliation. And do not donate your money to any political party because you really have no true knowledge of what they're doing with that money. Suggestion number seven, talk about emergency preparedness whenever appropriate to get as many people aware as possible, but do not show your preps to anyone and do not be specific regarding the extent of your preps. Operational security, OPSEC. You should practice it. Number eight, gently, quietly, without fanfare, Find others who think and act as you do. Start a moderate conversation regarding emergency preparation in general terms. Gauge their response and move forward if there's common ground, but only do so in small steps. Know who you are talking to. As trust and confidence grows, move the conversation to mutual support and assistance in your emergency preparedness endeavors. A good place to start would be at church, but don't assume that just because they're fellow churchgoers that they share all of your preparedness beliefs or share your core principles. I've written about this before. I'll see if I can find a copy of it. Starting a camping club was actually one of the smartest things that we ever did, and you really get to know people at a much deeper level with with your own little camping club. Suggestion number nine. Do everything you can to be as independent of all levels of government as possible, especially the federal government. Think self-reliance in every aspect of your life. Number 10, be willing and committed to defending yourself, your family, your principles, and your community against all threats that would jeopardize those principles or the safety of those you love and have joined with. Now, that defense can take a lot of different forms. It's not just a matter of grab your gun, we're going. You know, it's, it, it can take a lot of different forms. It's that will to defend it that's most important. That's the line most people have trouble crossing. Oh, I'm just waiting for permission. The people who are threatening your family, your principles, and your community, they're not going to give you permission. So don't wait around for them to say, okay, it's, it's okay. Now you can stand up to us. Number 11. Have realistic expectations of yourself and your family when it comes to emergency preparedness. Now, it would be wonderful to have or to be 100% prepared for any emergency that might come your way, but that is 100% unrealistic. So the key here is do the best you can with what you have, and that's good enough. Focus your time and and resources on the things which are the greatest risk or threat against you and your family. Solve that, then move on to the next item. Work your plan but don't become obsessive. And I would add just one small caveat to this too. Learn to trust God. 
if you if you haven't in in your own way made yourself right with God, this would be a good time to do so. And in my experience, there's a, a tremendous amount of peace in mind when you recognize how willing your Creator is to be involved in your life, even in the small details. It's a resource which uh, far too many people, especially believers, happen to overlook. Don't be one of those who makes that mistake. So if you were expecting some big silver bullet solution, those 11 suggestions probably don't uh, fit the bill, but they're a really great place to start. And I've got a link to the article from which I pulled these in the show notes, which you can access at thebrianheidshow.com. We'll take a quick break. We'll be back right after this. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. I'd like to tell you just a little bit about Dixie Chiropractic. That is uh, Dr. Ward Wagner. You can visit his website at at, uh, DixieChiro.com. This is a message of great importance for anybody who is uh, suffering from neuropathy. Talk to Dr. Wagner about the $99 Calmare treatment plus massage. Or if you're dealing with bulging herniated discs, wow, that is not fun. That's something I've had to deal with myself. Here's a $99 intro special, two treatments plus massage. Just contact DixieChiro.com for more information and to set up your appointment. Car accident injuries, same thing. They're there to help you. Dixie Chiropractic, I'm very happy to have them as sponsors of this program. So I hope you found the the stuff I covered in that first couple of segments useful. And my goal is certainly not to to scare anybody, but I really want to encourage people to to think about how you approach the the growing crisis around us. It, It does no good to deny it. There's no reason for us to pretend that, well, this isn't happening, put our fingers in our ears and start chatting, you know, so we don't have to acknowledge it. As the author says, what we need in this country right now is civility, compassion, willingness to serve, level-headedness, calm, and people determined to be prepared for emergencies. We need people who can reach out to their families and their communities and their neighbors and their congregations, for that matter, with helping hands, not just bossing them around, right? We need people with strong principles, or at least those willing to embrace strong, righteous principles at the individual level, willing to stand up for those principles, and then share them with others in a calm and gentle manner. Look at what the federal government is doing. Look at what bureaucrats are doing at every level, what politicians are doing. Look how they're behaving and what their positions, uh, their position-related actions are, rather. We need good people doing the exact opposite. We need good people doing good things for the right reasons, helping and serving others. I guess the message here is to embrace selflessness and abandon selfishness. In fact, the best way, actually the only way to fight evil is to fight it with good. That means you must be the source of that good. Because this is really a struggle of good versus evil. And right now, evil is winning on a global and national level for the most part. But that can and will change. And in this case, uh, A.H. Trimble is saying, you know, I'm asking you, imploring you to be a part of the good that makes that change. 
Now, just for clarification, he says, I'm not advocating that you don't physically defend yourself or your family against threats and acts of violence. You have a God-given right to defend yourself, and you have a responsibility mandated by God to defend and protect your family. You should take both of those responsibilities seriously, as seriously as you need to. But only you can make the judgment as to what degree. This isn't a month-long struggle. It's not even a year-long struggle. It's not just, you know, confined to the election cycle. It may not even be resolved within our lifetimes, but you are part of the solution. Today's solution, tomorrow's solution. So be part of the solution that you need to be. Right now, pretty much every aspect of our world is in turmoil. And here's the crazy thing. It's meant to be that way. That is the intention of the people who hold the levers of power right now. Every soldier of evil is working overtime to create mayhem and havoc, and it's all by design. And for the most part, uh, it is the federal government that is creating or enabling all of this chaos in Bedlam. For in doing so, they create division among the people, keeping them from uniting to restore our constitutional rights and to live a free and happy life and to hold accountable those people who are lusting for power. By separating us, by using party politics, by playing race against race, by distorting truth, by heavy-handed, tyrannical, and powerful government tactics, they seek to move us to little more of a role than serfdom. Now, you could easily find reason to be depressed or to withdraw from society or even take up arms in a misdirected cause. Don't. You could easily get caught up in worship of political idols or in embracing political party platforms. You could find some semblance of security and a sense of belonging in that. But don't. You could justify anger and rage in today's world with minimal effort. Don't. There are many easy paths and roads to follow, but where do they actually lead you? Some may seem to be correct, some meeting an inner need for action. Some might appeal to some desire to belong. But what is the actual eventual outcome of those roads and paths? Do you all have an end state somewhere? What does that look like? Can you even see the end or do you even know what it is? And is it really something you want to be involved in? Now, A.H. Trimble says, I don't know a single prepper who isn't action-oriented. We all want to take action. We all want to fix things. We all want to make things better, and we all feel better when we're doing something to correct a bad situation. It's because we're doers, not just talkers and dreamers. Although I'm sure we do plenty of the latter two. But the key here is what we do, the next actions we take. And there is no easy answer. There's no easy fix, no easy road or path to follow. And there certainly is no magical silver bullet. But there is an answer. There is a path to follow. There's a positive outcome, and you can easily be a part of it. Now, you can easily be a part of it. That does not mean that we've just eliminated the hard parts. He says, I refer to it being easy for you to join in the solution. Staying there and performing tasks within that solution, okay, that's a whole other story. I imagine that part will be hard at almost every turn for most of us. But you can do. You can belong. You can fix. You can move forward. You can help. You can make a difference. You can serve. You can be part of the solution. It all depends solely on who you are inside and what you want out of life. It's all entirely up to you. A.H. Trimble says, I can't imagine for the life of me that anyone reading this article, other than the federal law enforcement agents and researchers, would not want to be part of the solution. Meaning a lawful, constitutional, God-centered, positive, correct, appropriate, and meaningful solution to the problems we face today. 
He says, I know many of you. I get a sense from everyone who visits my site and reads my articles that you are great people, intelligent people, folks who want the world to be a better place. Now, he also says, I know exactly what frustration is. Maybe not your particular frustration, but I know what frustration is when I look at this disaster of a country we live in. And I'm frustrated that our government has abandoned virtually every founding principle that was divinely inspired nearly 250 years ago during our young country's struggle for independence. I'm frustrated that many of our citizens have exchanged freedoms, liberties, and rights for the promise of security and peace. I get it. I do. I understand it. And frustration can be a wonderful motivating tool or it can lead to utter destruction. The key is what your frustration motivates you to do. I suggest you search yourself and then allow your frustrations to motivate you to do what is right. There be consequences, some good, some not so good, that follow when you do the right things. Let them come. But here's the important part. Start today. Now, I really hope that this article that I've shared with you from A.H. Trimble, I hope it hits you the way that it hit me. Because this is one of the best summaries of the the message that I've been trying to get out for many, many years. And and I struggle with this. You know this. I I struggle with what's the right balance between helping people recognize and prioritize, you know, the, the challenges and the threats that we're facing right now versus just scaring the crap out of people and and getting them, you know, in a state of panic. Sometimes I feel like I do an okay job of, of walking that line between these two, these two uh, goals here. And sometimes I feel like, oh, man, I've totally just made the situation worse. I just threw, you know, a cup of gasoline right there on the fire. But I trust that you are listening to this program because at some level you have found encouragement or at least you've found clarity. Maybe it's just a strength of conviction that there is a solution, or there, there is more to this than, than what we're being told by mainstream media outlets and even by a lot of the, the pundits and other, you know, talking heads out there. Look, I'm just one voice among many. And, and I can't say with any certainty that, you know what, I've, I've got this all figured out, because I certainly don't. The only thing that I will say in my defense is I believe that... Uh, I believe that I have a stewardship, meaning I believe I am accountable to God for how I use the the talents, the abilities, the, the, the passions that I've been given. And above all, I want to use them to speak the truth and to speak encouragement and to, to help people understand what matters. And for those who get it, I want to give them encouragement to stand firm because I think the difficulty level is being dialed up. You feel that too, don't you? It's not easy to stand for something. People who stand for anything are going to pay a price at some level. Turns out it's always been this way. It's just, you know, I don't know if it's ever been so widespread or it's been so extreme that, you know, we all really feel it. Simple things of standing up for yourself. Well, I don't want to take that jab. Well, then you can't have a job, can you? Comes at us from a lot of different angles, doesn't it? Well, I appreciate you being part of my audience. Thank you for giving me a chance to give you some words to consider. We'll take a quick break. We'll be back right after this. This is The Brian Hyde Show. 
This is The Brian Hyde Show. Welcome back to the show. SewingandQuiltingCenter.com is one of my great sponsors. Someone you know really loves to create things through sewing or through quilting or embroidery. And I'm just here to remind you that Sewing and Quilting Center, their, their physical store is located in St. George, Utah, but they have reached far beyond just uh, their, their physical location. They're there to help people who understand the importance of knowing how to create wonderful things through sewing. Now, they can sell you entry-level sewing machines up to high-level long-arm quilting machines and embroidery machines, all the supplies that you need to go along with. They service sewing machines and quilting machines, etc., And best of all, you buy something from them. Let's say you decide, I'm going to do this. I want to learn how to start fixing my own clothing. Everything's getting expensive. You can buy with confidence knowing that they will help you find the machine that's right for the job. They'll also give you free classes to learn how to use that machine. I don't think you can go wrong in a situation like that. Sewingandquiltingcenter.com. That's their web address. You can also stop by their store if you're in St. George, 779 South Bluff Street. Well, I got a couple quick articles I want to just bounce off you in the last segment this hour. Uh, first and foremost, uh, we're hearing a little bit about monkeypox. It's like it was put on hold, though, because, I don't know, something rainbow-colored seemed to take precedence over uh, the fear and panic of monkeypox, but it's uh, I'm sure it's lurking out there. Got an article here from Raymond J. March. This is from AIER.org, the American Institute for Economic Research. And it talks about monkeypox and leviathan pointing out that U.S. News and World Report article documents there are now nine confirmed cases of monkeypox in the U.S. across seven states. That was as of May 27th, so there may be a little bit more now. It's been a week or two. Globally, the Center for Infectious Disease Research and Policy at University of Minnesota estimates 225 monkeypox infections across 21 countries. Suspected global infections, in other words, testing for monkeypox is tedious, are higher. So what does this mean? Well... Thankfully, monkeypox is not a novel illness. It's a disease that surfaced in the late 1950s. It really didn't impact people till the 70s. The monkeypox infection begins with chills, aching fever, and swollen lymph nodes. Victims often experience rashes, which undergo five stages before tapering off. And infections typically last from two to four weeks. The estimated fatality rate ranges between 3 and 6%. So while concerning, these monkeypox outbreaks are really nothing new. But there's a far greater concern than monkeypox that's spreading across the country right now, and that's how our government will respond to it. The precedent is not promising for liberty. As economist and historian Robert Higgs explains in his book, Crisis and Leviathan, any crisis provides a government with an opportunity to expand its influence over its citizenry. Governments can also use the threat of a looming crisis to maintain or reinstitute powers granted during a previous situation. So even a perceived threat as minor as monkeypox can allow the state to prolong and continue much of the expansion of powers it obtained during the COVID-19 pandemic. And plenty of examples suggest consequences of granting and extending government powers during a public health emergency can actually last for decades. I think that's a fair warning. So as far as public health crises are concerned, monkeypox isn't in the same league as COVID-19. They're entirely different, but they share a disturbing similarity, and that is their potential to help expand and retain government power. And that's something that seems preventable. Got a link to Raymond March's article in my show notes at thebrianhideshow.com. Also, on the subject of global warming, 
Well, you know it must be serious when the president starts using and invoking military powers to push green energy production. Russell Cook has an article on AmericanThinker.com that says, it's like the political class thinks it can sell global warming to Eskimos. I'm, I'm still just amazed at, at uh, where we have been taken in the last year and a half in the name of we've got to have, the, we've got to save the planet. You know, the very first act upon taking office, I mean within minutes of assuming the office <clears throat> of the presidency, Biden went and signed documents that uh, stopped the Keystone XL pipeline. That was the beginning of the squeeze to, you know, shut down energy production in the U.S., now, thankfully, it hasn't really affected us. As I glance out the window and go, what's it, $5 more a gallon of gas? $6 or more a gallon for diesel? Yeah. And this was all by design. They can, they can blame Biden, or I mean Putin, rather. They can blame, you know, uh, anything else. But this is deliberately due to green energy policies. And Russell Cook uh, talks about, uh, you know, the president invoking the uh, Production Act. I'm trying to remember the, the name of it um, to, to create solar panels. This is where the, the military's resources are brought in to, to make sure that uh, essential facilities and essential uh, production capability is maintained, you know, to protect us, you know, in a time of war. But apparently it's war, you know, against uh, climate change. And this is a complex issue. Right, I know we, we're supposed to believe the science is settled, the, the the world is the world's climate is changing. I do believe, by the way, there are cyclical changes in the climate. But the part where I'm really skeptical is when politicians start telling me, "And if you will give me more money and more control over your life, I can make that stop." Yeah, right. <laughs> sure, you can. As uh, as the author here. Uh, um, Russell Cook points out, he says, as, as complex as the whole science issue is after 30 years, the elemental fatal fault in the global warming issue is how the whole issue still boils down to just a one-sentence talking point. Exxon and the rest of the fossil fuel industry knew the science was settled, but paid shill experts to reposition global warming from fact back to uncertain theory, and that's why everyone can ignore those skeptics and move forward to stop the climate crisis. Now, maybe an ordinary hotel banquet room worker isn't qualified to judge the science, but you don't have to be a rocket scientist to commit an elemental act of due diligence by asking the most basic questions. What is your evidence proving those skeptics knowingly lie and are paid illicit money to do that? In fact, could we not apply that standard to these government-funded scientists whose jobs depend upon them towing a certain line? Was it Upton Sinclair who said it's very hard to get a man to understand something when his salary depends on him not understanding it? So the global warming issue is bigger than just science. It's a window into the world of how big the mainstream media journalism malfeasance may be in this issue. Why do we have every appearance that there is no actual climate crisis while seeing growing evidence of where the actual disinformation is found in this issue? Russell Cook says, because prominent enviro activists, along with unquestioning policymakers, both enabled by a complicit mainstream media, are not not providing fact-based information that fully informs the public. They're instead selling us all one of the most false premise, deceptive, and disingenuous narratives in history, selling refrigerators to all of us Eskimos, in other words. All right, one final note here. 
You've noticed perhaps the left's hyper-focus on sexualizing our children at the earliest age possible. And it's a clear warning sign. Got an article here from Sherry Few. Why, or when leftists fight like mad to steal and brainwash your kids. Now, look, these are some loaded words, and I understand some people might think, okay, you're just trying to inspire fear. But after seeing some of the things that have come out, some of the video that came out of the, the drag shows for children, you know, down in Dallas, Texas, and, and just looking, I'm looking around my home state of Idaho right now, <clears throat> and there are drag queen story hours and drag shows and big pride events taking place in lots of publics, very much aimed at the children. They're, these are in public parks and public venues. And I have to wonder, why is it that when parents fail to provide for their children, they could face legal consequences and the court systems have recognized parents' rights to raise their children and the responsibilities that come along with parenthood. I mean, you have to feed, clothe, give your kids medical attention and so forth. And yet more and more, we're seeing the government wanting to take over parenting while still holding parents accountable for how their children turn out. I think the most amazing revelation that I saw was how much public health money, in other words, taxpayer money, is being used to fund various pride events. And I'm talking about in a very conservative state, Idaho. I'm sure that this is much bigger, a much bigger problem elsewhere. Why is it? that the political left is so intent on teaching children and going behind parents' backs regarding their sexuality, their gender identity, and so forth. I mean, look, I'm, I, I'll just put my cards on the table here. Parents are accountable to God. Whether they believe in God or not, I believe that there is great accountability on the part of those who sire and raise children. Now, having said that, that doesn't mean I'm so much better than I I tremble because I think of the terrible mistakes that I've made and and the horrible example that I've been sometimes for my kids. Thankfully, my kids are are very good. They're very kind and they're very forgiving. And, uh, you know, I've we've all recognized, you know what, mom, dad, you could have done better there. And I see the same thing with my parents. And I guess the lesson here is we're all learning this as we go. But it sure seems like some people with some really dark um, tendencies have taken aim at our children. What do we intend to do about that? This is The Brian Hyde Show. A trusted voice of truth and light. God gave me a gift. I shovel well. I shovel very well. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. We've got a blind date with destiny. And it looks like she's ordered the lobster. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Well, hello there and welcome to the show. Those rumors you've heard about this being a place where we gather to revel in wrong think, they're absolutely true. All of it. And you know what? It's a necessary thing. If you want to hang on to your sanity, for instance, you've got to be willing to question the uh, common and official narratives that are circulating throughout society. Some of the things we are expected to believe really strain our uh, credulity. And I'm, I'm here not to, to give you all the answers or the antidote other than to suggest maybe what we need to do is question a little more deeply every bit of information that comes our way and take responsibility for making up our own minds. Now, some people aren't willing to do this, but you appear to be one of those individuals who's willing to step outside the comfort zone and challenge some of those uh, 
notions of conventional wisdom, even if it's uncomfortable. Well, first of all, I congratulate you for being willing to do so. There, there really aren't that many people willing to at this point. And I will do my level best to give you solid, credible information for your consideration. What you do with it is up to you. But I'm very grateful for uh, the sponsors who make it possible for me to spend my day trying to find the best information I can to share with you to help shed light on the world around us. So let's dive right in, shall we? We'll start with a question. Why would anyone want or need an AR-15? Well, I've got an article here from Adam Mills. Adam Mill, rather. And the answer is because an AR-15 can deter a mob. The subtitle here, Americans deserve the chance to protect themselves from rampaging mobs and, God forbid, the government itself if tyranny arises. Adam Mill says, I felt my stomach drop. My barber had just reported to me the news that a Kansas City police officer had shot and killed a pregnant black woman who was unarmed and in handcuffs following a routine traffic stop. That's murder, I whispered in my shocked response. Immediately, my mind flashed back to scenes from Kenosha, Wisconsin, during which terrified residents put up signs supporting Black Lives Matter to plead for safety from the mob of arsonists. Would Kansas City soon descend into a similar chaos? As I listened to the barber's account, I also caught the 5 o'clock news on television. Could there have been two different police shootings? No. The case was just so badly distorted through misinformation that it was hard to recognize. To begin with, it turned out that before the shooting, Leona Hale came to the attention of police as a passenger riding in a recently carjacked vehicle. It was not a routine traffic stop, as the rumor suggested. Police produced video of Hale, of, uh, video still of Hale holding a pistol. She was not unarmed, as the rumor maintained. Law enforcement claimed she turned to take aim at police before they fired at her. She was not in handcuffs when they fired, as the rumor held. By the way, she survived the incident, in contradiction of the rumor, and was later released on bail. Oh, and it turns out she wasn't pregnant. So like the false rumors surrounding the incident that touched off the Kenosha riots, almost everything in the original rumor was carefully fabricated to incite the maximum rage in those who heard it. This wasn't simple or innocent misinformation. Every altered detail made the fiction more provocative. And activists seeking to raise money in response to the shooting continue to broadcast uncensored falsehoods on social media. Now, in Kenosha, rumors were promulgated holding that police shot and killed an unarmed black man in front of his children. In fact, Blake was shot four times in the back and three times in the side as he brandished a curved blade knife while attempting to kidnap his children in a vehicle he was attempting to steal from his ex-girlfriend, Laquisha Booker, whom he had just sexually assaulted just three months before. Thankfully, the Kansas City mayor and prosecutor acted courageously and quickly to credibly dispel the outrageous rumors about the shooting. Both Jackson County Prosecutor Gene Peters Baker and Mayor Quinton Lucas deserve recognition and commendation for their courage. Now, both are Democrats. Republicans can only envy their civic courage. Most cities are not as blessed by such conscientious leadership, no matter which party dominates. Adam Mill says, we know from our experience in 2020 that legacy and social media will happily spread any rumor, no matter how vile, to stir up more unrest and division or, ideally, another riot. And in spite of all the pious proclamations from our tech overlords about their concern for our safety, we all know that's garbage. Social media failed to flag or react in a timely way to warnings on their platforms posted about both the Buffalo and the recent Uvalde, Texas shootings. 
Now to the point. This is not a piece about dealing with misinformation. Official efforts to, efforts to combat misinformation are laugh, laughably political and partisan. This is about gun control. Why do Americans need AR-15s with a high-capacity magazine? Because too often, mobs inflamed by planted rumors are allowed or even encouraged to rampage through American communities. Ask Kyle Rittenhouse. The AR-15 is a jury-approved tool of self-defense against a mob of attackers. Mobs like these don't materialize in a vacuum. Tyrants dating back to the Romans have employed mobs to influence politics. Mussolini, Mao, Hitler, the Ayatollah Ali Khomeini of Iran all have identified an on and off switch for their street goons. And no, it's not different when the mob is inflamed by social justice concerns. Every mob since before the Romans claims to be fighting for justice of some kind. Remember that Kamala Harris rather conspicuously pledged to stand by Kenosha rioters and helped raise money for Minneapolis rioters who burned down an entire police facility. Biden excused the Kenosha riots on the grounds of the original sin in this country, slavery and all the vestiges of it. So one should not hold one's breath for help from the Biden administration if one city descends into chaos. Mark and Patricia McCloskey and Kyle Rittenhouse have demonstrated that the AR-15, with a conspicuous high-capacity magazine, is the appropriate tool to deter a mob in the case of the McCluskeys, and may be wielded as a legitimate instrument of self-defense in the case of Rittenhouse. And Adam Mill says, as I pointed out in 2020, Americans can see that powerful rifles are turning up in the possession of violent rioters and looters. And in a video that he links, one can clearly see Raz Simone, then a noted leader within Seattle's Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone, handing out an expensive, tricked-out AR-15 to a complete stranger. Simone somehow went from an Airbnb host to a Tesla-driving, Arsenal-distributing mogul in the space of a few weeks. And in another video, a militant left-wing militia group called NFAC staged an armed protest in Kentucky, during which an accidental discharge wounded three people. Now, unfortunately, we live at a time when social and legacy media help agitators spread lies to incite mob violence. And for a variety of reasons, one may not be able to count on law enforcement to engage a violent threat. Once the threat materializes, it's possible that the police will maintain a perimeter while waiting for equipment and backup while people continue to die. I mean, we just saw this, folks. Jurisdictions governed by the left have been particularly brazen about selective protection based on politics. University of California recently was forced to settle a lawsuit charging that UC Berkeley withheld security and protection from conservative speakers. Adam Mill says, Americans deserve the chance to protect themselves from rampaging mobs and, God forbid, the government itself, if tyranny arises. And they should not take for granted that their Republican representatives will stand firm to protect these rights. He says things are different now. Gun confiscators are willing to weather the backlash of moderate gun owners to achieve their greater objectives. Indeed, the hopeless condition of their midterm prospects leaves them with little to lose. It's in the air. The NRA is bankrupt and compromised. Anti-gun forces, not all of them Democrats, control Congress and the White House. And before you count on the Supreme Court, remember, the mob now knows where each of the conservative justices live. The Second Amendment has never been in greater peril. Isn't that interesting? And wasn't it just yesterday or the day before that uh, an armed individual was arrested, 
apparently having found Brett Kavanaugh's house and Justice Kavanaugh's neighborhood and was apparently told police he was there to kill Kavanaugh. Apparently over a grievance related to the, uh, in the coming decision that will affect Roe v. Wade. Yeah, we live in some really interesting times. And when people wonder, well, why do you really need an AR-15? I'm telling you, the, the mob violence that we saw two years ago. In fact, if you, if you want to really get serious about it, the mob violence that you saw 30-some years ago in, in Los Angeles, the Rodney King riots, were the best illustrated lessons I can think of. That number one, the state will not be there to protect you in your moment of need. And secondly... That armed mobs are a credible threat at times. That doesn't mean you have to live in a state of continual fear and paranoia. Oh my gosh, the mob is coming. But accept the reality. There are times when mobs are being ginned up and sometimes actively ginned up. In that case, a military pattern rifle, rugged, dependable, and with enough ammunition to uh, stave off, you know, a large group of people... Or at least keep them at a distance? Seems to make a whole lot more sense. The only thing I would add is if you choose to go the route of protecting yourself, take the time, spend the money, get the best training that you possibly can. It will give you options. And it's all about having options. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Thank you so much for being part of our growing audience of wrong thinkers. If you haven't subscribed to my show notes, I'm not saying they're going to make all your dreams come true, but they will definitely give you some great food for thought. And if you're interested in doing your own research, I'll give you some solid links to follow from sources that I have come to know and trust. Again, you don't have to agree with all of them. Some of them you might just find a curiosity, but... I think you're smart enough to entertain an idea without making it your own, and that's the mark of an educated mind, something all of us should be striving for. By the way, I want to send a shout-out here to the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage, located in St. George, Utah. Thank you for sponsoring this program. Thank you for being there for all the people looking for a home loan, whether it's a VA loan, a traditional loan, a reverse mortgage. The Heather Turner team at Patriot Mortgage has the stability, the clout, and most importantly, the experience to get you the loan you need when time is of the essence. You can call Heather at 435-703-4522. You can visit her office at 619 South Bluff Street in St. George. Her NMLS ID is 715386, and Patriot Home Mortgage is an equal housing opportunity lender. Well, if you're not certain what uh, political propaganda looks like, you're going to have an opportunity, starting with the televised uh, uh, coverage of the January 6th committee hearings. And I'm going to start with a little commentary here from James Howard Kunstler. Your show of shows. Boy, he just gets right to it. He says at least half the public is already onto the extravagant damage inflicted on our national life by the beneficiaries of the 2020 election. The unraveling of the USA gets its summer steroid booster shot today when the political twerk fest known as the January 6th Select Committee commences primetime televising of its inquiry into the so-called insurrection 
the day that Congress met to tally the 2020 Electoral College vote, when hundreds of protesters entered the U.S. Capitol illegally, egged on and enabled by a squad of FBI plants larded throughout the crowd, larded throughout the crowd, rather, and by shadowy figures inside the building who unlocked the doors for them. Now, the objectives of this extravaganza are A, to soften up the remaining purple voters before the midterm election, B, to paint former President Donald Trump as an instigator of the uproar and an enemy of the people, so he won't be able to run for office again, and C, to punish former White House employees and Trump partisans with onerous legal fees so as to knock them off the political game board. Now, James Howard Kunstler says the party of chaos certainly doesn't need to reinforce the mass formation psychosis of its base who maintained that the 2020 election was the fairest and squarest in U.S. history. The committee members will chant the talismanic phrase, the big lie, ad nauseum, to ward off reasonable suspicions that they are the ones doing the lying. Since a kind of maniacal stupidity attends all the party's doings these days, it could easily backfire on them. Even two years later, probes are still pending in several swing states. And only a few weeks ago, the documentary 2,000 Mules released time-stamped video cam footage of blatant wholesale drop-box ballot stuffing around the country. Lawsuits filed lately also claim the committee itself is illegally constituted, since House Speaker Nancy Pelosi disallowed against the rules the minority Republicans from appointing their own chosen members. Instead, she did it for them, planning the vehemently hostile rogues Liz Cheney and Adam Kissinger on it meaning no witnesses will be called who might refute pertinent details of the insurrection narrative already constructed. Much of the testimony presented will be videotaped interviews with Trump White House officials, and there will be no accounting for what may be edited out. In other words, you have an obvious setup for a star chamber, a device for disregarding individual rights and fair procedure. Now, he says the context, of course, as I aver above, is a country that is imploding six ways to Sunday, to paraphrase Chuck Schumer, the party of chaos's Senate leader. At least half the public is already onto the extravagant damage inflicted upon our national life by the beneficiaries of the 2020 election. Thanks to Joe Biden, the dollar is hemorrhaging value. We instigated a war in Ukraine that will lead to global famine and mass refugee events. Oil and natural gas are unaffordable, thanks to our destabilizing of global distribution networks. Spare parts are unavailable for every imaginable machine in the land. The business model for farming is broken. Real estate is groaning under rising mortgage interest rates. The CDC is still pushing COVID vaccines, despite proof that they're ineffective and harmful. Cities are overwhelmed with criminal violence and psychotic homeless drug fiends. And as a final indignity, actually an advertisement to the world of our depraved weakness, the U.S. military is hosting drag queen shows at our European air bases. Are these the circumstances that American voters are expected to endorse in the November election when all these conditions are liable to get a lot worse? Well, apparently the party of chaos thinks so, since they're delivering exactly what they stand for. And yet they're clearly nervous about it, as if they suffer fugitive doubts that we the people are avid for cultural and economic collapse. James Howard Kunstler says, My advice then is to take the televised January 6th hearings for the grand entertainment it's intended to be. Enjoy the sob stories of the Capitol Police officers pretending to suffer from post-traumatic stress disorder. Behold the terrible threat to our democracy of the bare-chested interloper in a horned helmet chatting up security guards in the Senate chamber. Note the insurrectionist taking seditious selfies in the statuary hall and trying to fob off with souvenir furnishings. 
see Representative Liz Cheney fulminate with scorn and disgust against her orange nemesis. Sympathize with committee chair Benny G. Thompson as he bangs his gavel and cries for order when any live witness utters the name Ashley Babbitt. Watch Representative Adam Kissinger turn on the waterworks. Take it all in and ask yourself, who exactly seeks to subvert this republic of ours? Guy's got away with words. <laughs> James Howard Kunstler, I've got a link to his article in today's show notes. Now, I'm going to shift gears and say, if you're really uncertain about what unalloyed political propaganda looks like, these January 6th committee hearings are going to be probably your best opportunity to see that for yourself. But there are a few things that they likely will not be covering. And maybe that's what we should be taking a look at here. Julie Kelly, writing for American Greatness or AmGreatness.com, says that we're looking at a sham congressional committee working with a corrupt Justice Department boosted by a dishonest national media, and they're expecting to create political propaganda. She says U.S. Representative Jamie Raskin of Maryland promises the January 6th Selects Committee hearings will tell a story that will blow the roof off of the House. Representative Pete Aguilar of California insists the committee's job is to tell the truth. Turncoat Republican uh, Representative Liz Cheney from Wyoming claims her fellow committee members will be focused on facts, not rhetoric, and we will present those facts without exaggeration, no matter what criticism we face. Well, Julie Kelly says after a year of unrestrained investigation led by seasoned professional prosecutors who interrogated at least a thousand witnesses and collected hundreds of thousands of documents, including records once considered privileged and material, the committee will present its findings to the American people beginning with a much-hyped primetime hearing Thursday night. Their bottom-line task is to convince the public that Trump led a coordinated, multi-step effort to overturn the 2020 presidential election according to a a committee tweet last week. Now, to spark interest in the hearing, the committee has hired, at taxpayer expense, a veteran television producer to create a blockbuster investigative special featuring clips of the protest and witness interviews. Democrats hope that chilling revelations about the four-hour disturbance at the Capitol more than 17 months ago will prevent an electoral bloodbath for the party this November. Collaboration between Congress and Joe Biden's Justice Department has resulted in contempt charges against Trump confidants Peter Navarro and Steve Bannon. Meanwhile, Biden's hand-picked U.S. attorney for the District of Columbia has criminally indicted more than 800 Americans for protesting Biden's election on January 6th. On the same day last week, FBI agents arrested Navarro in public at a D.C. airport and arrested two men from Florida on charges of civil disorder and three misdemeanors related to the Capitol protest. So far from what Cheney and her Trump-hating inquisitors say, the January 6th committee is far from a truth-finding mission. In fact, what the committee fails to address will speak more to its true motivations, and that is to drive a stake in the heart of a political movement that refuses to die and in some regards is stronger than ever not to prevent another insurrection in the future, which is how the committee was sold to the country. We're going to come back to this commentary in just a few moments. Again, I've got a link to Julie Kelly's article in my show notes at thebrianhydeshow.com. Stay with us. We'll be back in just a few moments. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. 
And we are back. A quick shout out here to lifesavingfood.com. They've been one of my long-term sponsors here on the program. I really appreciate them, not just for supporting me, but also I appreciate lifesavingfood.com for what they offer my listeners, which is options. Yep, you've got uh, you've got resources at your disposal. You have options, and that's always a good thing in times of unexpected crisis or emergency. Click on the link I provide in my show notes. It'll take you right to their website. You can see for yourself the places where it might benefit your plan for self-reliance. Maybe you're already well on your way. Just have a few little gaps to fill in. Maybe you're just getting started. Either way, lifesavingfood.com can help. Back to Julie Kelly's article. And by the way, I, I want to give a shout out here. Julie Kelly really is a national treasure in terms of her investigative journalism and her willingness to stand up and speak the truth regarding January 6th. I know a number of people who were in Washington, D.C. on January 6th, and you know what? They were good people who all had serious questions and continue to have serious questions about whether or not the the uh, November 2020 election was carried out with, you know, integrity. And and the deeper we dig, the more it's it's clear. The questions remain, despite all the assurances, oh, that's already been answered. You Don't even ask about it. You would think that people who had the truth on their side would be much more willing to tell people, no, please, take a look. Look at it all. Question anything you want, knowing that the truth will be supported. But instead, we're being told, no, 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 you can't even think about that. It's kind of a danger sign. Don't even go there. You're not allowed to ask these kind of questions. Sounds a lot like somebody has something to hide. Julie Kelly says, well, committee members attempt to criminalize complaints of a stolen presidential election, an accusation the very same people once leveled regarding Donald Trump's win in 2016, evidence key to providing a full, unvarnished account of what happened on January 6th is unlikely to be made available to the public. At the same time, already established aspects of the day will be ignored and falsehoods promoted promoted rather as reality. For example, will the committee release 14,000 hours of surveillance video? to show what happened inside and outside of the Capitol building on January 6th? Biden's Justice Department quickly designated the footage as highly sensitive government material that remains under strict protective orders in court proceedings. Now, allowing the public to view most of the video is the best way to uncover the truth about what happened that day. Why continue to conceal it? If January 6th is comparable to 9-11 and other deadly terror attacks, as Biden and his apparatchiks insist, Cheney and her colleagues should authorize the immediate and unedited release of all publicly funded security video. What about the security video from January 5th? Will the committee explain why Capitol Police erased almost all the surveillance video from the day before the protest? Democratic lawmakers have accused Republicans of conducting reconnaissance tours in anticipation of the so-called insurrection. But all security video that could have proven that claim oddly has been purged from Capitol Police files. Tampering with evidence surrounding the crime of the century? Certainly this could shock the rule of law consciences of Cheney and company. And where are the internal investigative reports on police misconduct on January 6th? Will the committee make the public make public the inquiry into the police killing of Ashley Babbitt? What about the three other fatalities that day? Democrats continually describe January 6th as a deadly insurrection. But the only people who died were Trump supporters. Well, Representative Adam Kissinger, who cried at testimony by police officers during last July's hearing, shed similar tears for four dead Americans who, whose deaths were wholly or partially 
the result of excessive force used on January 6th? The public has been told the death toll could have been much higher that day. Just imagine the bloodshed if two pipe bombs had exploded a few blocks from the Capitol building. To that end, will the committee finally identify the alleged pipe bomber responsible for planning explosives outside the headquarters of both the Democratic National Committee and the Republican National Committee on the evening of January 5th? Julie Kelly says reports of the bombs initiated panic on January 6th and prompted the evacuation of adjacent house buildings. Lawmakers and commentators immediately speculated the perpetrator was a Trump supporter. Now, the FBI released grainy video of the suspect shortly after the Capitol protest and offered a hefty reward for his capture. But despite the FBI's use of extensive tools, including geofence warrants, to track down Capitol protesters, the department still hasn't been able to identify the pipe bomber. Further, the department appears to have lost interest in the crime, an inexplicable move since the Justice Department finally admitted in court filings last year that Senator Kamala Harris was inside the DNC building, not inside the Capitol building, as the government claimed in court documents for over a year when Capitol Police located the explosive. Surely the committee has a heightened interest in finding the man who could have killed a sitting U.S. senator and incoming vice president just hours before Congress certified her election, right? Where is the final FBI report on the incident? Speaking of the FBI, will the committee disclose how many undercover agents and informants were in any way involved with January 6th? Reporting by the New York Times last year confirmed at least two informants infiltrated the Proud Boys months before and were among the first to breach the perimeter of the grounds. Court filings revealed that undercover federal agents were stationed around the building before the chaos unfolded. Hundreds of elite FBI agents were summoned to Quantico the weekend before January 6th and deployed to downtown D.C. that morning. For what? A top FBI official refused to say whether FBI agents or informants provoked or engaged in violent behavior that day. At the recent trial of Michael Sussman, as as it again showed, a seamless relationship exists between Democratic Party interests and the nation's top law enforcement agency, so much so that the FBI has a workplace at Perkins Coy, the Democrats' powerhouse law firm. And will the committee finally give the long-awaited answer to the question, who is Ray Epps? Speculation that Ray Epps, seen on video numerous times directing people to go inside the building on January 6th, was a federal agent because he was removed from the FBI's most wanted list and faced no charges more than a year later, strangely prompted the committee to rush to Epps' defense. Kissinger stated on Twitter that committee investigators had interviewed Epps and a transcript would be released. Well, that was five months ago. Now, Julie Kelly says it's highly unlikely, of course, that the committee will address any of those matters during this week's hearing or in subsequent performances. Meanwhile, congenital liars such as Representative Adam Schiff of California will represent or will perpetuate rather long debunked narratives, including the number of police officers who died as a result of January 6th. The answer is none or that Trump loyalists brought firearms into the building. They didn't. A sham congressional committee working with a corrupt Justice Department boosted by a dishonest national media can only be expected to create political propaganda, not expose the truth. No matter how hard Liz Cheney pretends her vengeance mission is legitimate, most of the American public isn't buying what she's selling. Gotta love that Julie Kelly. She is right to the point. And there is a link to her article in the show notes at thebrianheidshow.com. In fact, I would recommend if you uh, if you go to amgreatness.com, 
Click through the Julie Kelly archive. She's written about this a lot over the last year and a half. And her take is is very well informed. She is possibly the best source that I have found on January 6th, simply because she's willing to question that narrative. All right, I'm going to shift gears once more. Will or why woke corporation corporations rather will go broke. Doug Casey to me is a guy who has a really solid take on what's going on in the world. So when when he's asked about, well, what do you think about uh, you know uh, this concerted effort to blur the lines around gender and for schools to introduce bizarre gender theories to prepubescent children, what exactly is going on here? I was very interested in Doug's take. And Doug Casey says the reports are so bizarre and crazy, you'd think they were made up, but apparently they're not. Now, he says different societies throughout history have had different standards of morality and attitudes towards bringing up children and sexual morals. But at this point in the West, the nuclear family itself and everything that's been considered traditional and normal is under attack. How else to explain Mayor Pete, the Secretary of Transportation, playing with his husband or or whatever he or she is? Or the bizarre transsexual Rachel Levine sporting some kind of admiral's uniform. Or the new national press secretary whose main qualification is that she's a strident black lesbian. However, this type of thing often happens when a society is heading towards collapse. The dissipated practices of Roman emperors like Caligula, Nero, Commodus, uh, Caracula, Elagabalus. Wow, that's a name I've not seen before. And others recently filtered down into the common people and the Dark Ages followed. He says, more recently, look at the things that went on in Germany after World War I during the Weimar Republic. Sexual debauchery and moral as well as economic degeneracy ruled. And these things destabilized society, evidenced by street fights and riots between the Nazis and the communists. It all resembles what's brewing in the U.S. between the red people and the blue people. In other words, he says, history rhymes. Now, unfortunately, we're coming up on the break here, so I'm going to tap the brake pedal just a bit. But we'll come back to Doug Casey's take on why woke corporations will go broke. If you're one of those rare individuals who's tired of being force-fed, you know, a rainbow-colored milkshake, I think you'll appreciate what he has to say. This isn't about being a hater. It's not about being enemy-driven. It's about recognizing what forced propaganda is like and realizing you're not a bad person to say, I don't want that. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Welcome back to the show. A quick shout out to HSLAmmo.com. You'll find a link right there in my show notes under my sponsors. HSL Ammo specializes in creating high-quality new and remanufactured ammunition. And they are the folks to go to if you are in southern Utah and you're looking to stock up on ammo. HSLAmmo.com. I sure appreciate them being a sponsor of the show. So I'm sharing this article from Doug Casey. It's actually an interview with InternationalMan.com. But I sure like to hear Doug Casey's take on what's going on. He really seems to have a solid grasp of what's in play. And in talking about uh, the conditions that we're facing right now, this is not something new. This is not something that's unprecedented in human history. When a society is heading towards a collapse, you start to see people losing their grasp of reality. 
Now, he says, my personal view has always been that if somebody's gay, bi, queer, trans, or whatever, it's their business, not mine. It's not something the state should be involved in either. In fact, marriage between consenting adults of whatever real or imagined genders is none of the state's business either. The state is here to provide protection from force and fraud, period. It's not here to enforce views on morality or customs. But that's not a commonly accepted view. Doug Casey says in today's world, hundreds of racial and sexual groups don't just want freedom from oppressive laws. They demand special privileges and laws forcing others to observe them. And they're very vocal, screaming that it's not enough for people with psychological aberrations of one type or another to simply be acknowledged and left alone, which is the most that anyone can or should ask from anybody else. If, for example, someone is born with the apparatus of a male and feels an emotion or thinks an intellectual belief that he should be a female, that's his business. He should be able to change his clothes or surgically alter his body in any way to reflect that, as long as he doesn't force others to pay for the process. He may be a perfectly good and normal human being in all other ways. But Doug Casey says it's clear, at least to me, that he's suffering from a serious neurosis, which I define as a stumbling block to getting along in life. He says it tells me that part of his mental wiring is askew. And maybe other parts are as well. In effect, it's a warning to others saying, Caution! I'm unstable. Most neurotics recognize they have an abnormality, abnormality rather, and attempt to deal with it to limit its adverse consequences, but some, however, don't want to. They openly dramatize their aberrations and act irrationally. If it's serious enough, we call them psychotics. A psychotic is, in effect, wearing a sign saying, Danger! I might seriously harm you, myself, or others. I may be a ticking bomb. A thoughtful and reasonable person keeps the appropriate distance from deranged individuals or groups. But now we've reached a point where those with serious psychological problems are trying and succeeding in actively imposing their values on society. It's one thing to wrestle with your own demons. It's something else, again, to try to influence or even force other people's children and families to endorse or even mimic your aberrations. People who parade and flaunt their abnormalities used to be called degenerates and avoided like those with a communicable disease. Now they're recruited. Lunatics have captured large parts of society and are transforming it into an asylum. They own the government and entertainment industries and control many aspects of government. And that's really serious because government can legally coerce you to accept their values. People with purposefully destructive beliefs, things like Marxism, progressivism, socialism, communism, fascism, collectivism, statism, etc., are now accepted as normal and reasonable. And they're not. These things have destroyed general civilizational values. Now, Doug Casey says, true, it's an intentional destruction only on the part of a fairly small minority. But they're serious, dedicated, and extremely vocal. Most of the public goes along out of apathy or ignorance. The average person doesn't know what to believe about almost anything. And as as has been said, when you believe in nothing, you're capable of believing anything. He says, that's what's going on today. Now, International Man then follows up by saying large corporations like Disney and Netflix have openly promoted a woke agenda. As a result, Disney faced enormous backlash from parents, and Netflix has recently seen a massive drop in paid subscribers. Companies are supposed to seek profits, but as these businesses show, as these examples show, many profit-seeking corporations are destroying their business 
to promote a twisted ideology. What is your perspective? And Doug Casey says, once again, it's part of the overall collapse of Western civilization. He says, let me refer to the 12 elements of Western Civ from our last conversation. And by the way, if you haven't seen that, it's linked within the article. Very, very worthwhile. I shared this last week. Doug Casey says, the rot started in the education system. Professional intellectuals have learned to make a living inventing and justifying ideologies that allow the elite to control the masses. Since the days of the Fabian Socialists, not to mention the Marxists, Leninists, Stalinists, Maoists, Peronists, and many others, they've actively inculcated values that are not just different, but exactly the opposite of everything that made the West great and unique. One major problem with companies like Disney and Netflix, although I understand the CEO of Netflix is trying to turn things around, is the concept of stakeholders. That's the notion where a company is beholding to people in general as much as its owners. Now, he says, my view is that a company should work first of all and primarily for its shareholders, then to its customers, then to its employees. Now, you certainly don't want to harm anybody outside of those groups, but a company shouldn't be a charity. Managements perversely often become the enemy of shareholders in that regard. They bow to the stakeholders, making charitable contributions because it's to their personal benefit. They get to act as big shots with shareholder funds. And the money generally flows to places the intellectuals who are concentrated in universities and non-governmental organizations designate. Not surprisingly, a huge amount of charitable giving goes to universities and NGOs. Instead, business should recognize as a moral imperative that it owes nothing to the public at large. But to the contrary, the concepts of diversity, inclusion, and equity and environmental, social, and governance have inundated corporate culture like a tidal wave of sewage. They're being viewed as good, positive, and something that everybody should observe when they should be thrown out with the garbage. They're purely destructive. He says one of the causes for this, other than our corrupt education system, is that corporations today are generally not run by entrepreneurs. Entrepreneurs, the founders, generally have one way of thinking. Later, managers take over. The companies then run by suits, heavy with lawyers and accountants. They're what the French call petit fonctionnaires. These are people with bureaucratic mindsets, better at backslapping and backstabbing than creating value, who come to consider themselves as masters of the universe. And he says it's not good. Now he says, I hope the situation turns around, but the issue is very much in doubt at this moment. Psychological aberration, whether it's in sexual mores, racial perceptions, philosophical attitudes, economic theory, fashions, social attitudes, or what have you, have gotten out of control. Society as a whole is experiencing mass psychosis. It's Weimar Germany veering towards China during its great cultural revolution. So he's saying there are good reasons to be bearish on the fate of this country. Forget about the stock market. So International Man says, well, it seems like this trend is not a grassroots, bottom-up dynamic where ordinary people are demanding companies go woke. Instead, it appears to be an orchestrated top-down dynamic where the powerful companies and individuals inject this ideology into all aspects of society. What's going on here and what's the purpose of this? Well, Doug Casey says the wokesters, social justice warriors, and leftist would-be revolutionaries are following a Latinist model which is to say that the cadres leave the way, lead the way, rather. They've captured the moral and intellectual high ground of society. They're bending it to their will. And they rely on the fact that the average person basically does what he's told by those in authority and those who have an air of certainty. They follow leaders. 
and the public has become convinced that what they're seeing, basically crazy people acting out, is good. That's because they no longer have an idea of personal ethics. It's because the 12 factors that built Western civilization are no longer part of the social fabric. The cadres I'm talking about intentionally promote perverted sexual attitudes, racism, and destructive political and economic beliefs because they want to overthrow the values of Western Civ. Now he says, unfortunately, there's a great, great revolutionary turning points in civilization, which we're involved in right now. Things usually get worse after the old trend stops. This happened in Russia in 1917. It happened in France in 1789. Just because an old trend finally runs into a brick mall, wall rather doesn't mean that things get better right away. There's a period of chaos after that. So it's going to hit a brick wall, but even after it hits a brick wall, there's going to be a period of serious disorder. And that's because the traditional elements of society have lost their moral bearings. The public no longer knows which way is up or down or the difference between right and wrong. And what that means is we are likely to experience a long period of chaos. He says it's a pretty gloomy prospect, strange and scary days, especially for those of us who are classical liberals, libertarians, and ANCAPs. The lunatics and criminal personalities who gained control over our society have cleverly turned the 12 features of Western civilization upside down, so we live in bizarro world. It won't be fun. This is The Brian Hyde Show.